0: Welcome you all to the fifth week of our study of the book of Philippians. At all of our campuses, those of you joining us online and, uh, and, and Facebook Live, we're so glad to have you today. Come on, why don't you put your hands together and show you a your little love for each other. Yeah, so good to be with family. So excited to be with you guys. In this fifth week of our study of Philippians, it's entitled that you'll get through this. We're gonna be taking a look at the subject of peace and a message uh, entitled A Peaceful Life. And, uh, and this is, you know, I've really enjoyed it. I don't know, how many of you guys have enjoyed Pastor Steve just teaching through this? Uh, book the last several weeks. And today, I'm particularly excited to be able to teach with you as we get into chapter four, uh, and particularly on this subject. Very excited about that. And and the reason is, for me personally, I've always enjoyed the book of Philippians, but peace has never been a strong suit for me. In fact, learning to walk and live in peace has been somewhat of a learned uh, skill for me. I, I don't know if you guys can imagine this, but I am naturally a pretty wound up Spooled up kind of guy, and I know that's probably a shock to many of you. Uh, but if you don't believe me, you can ask my wife and my kids and the people who know me the best. I, I've always been a little over the top, a little excitable. Uh, as my elementary school principal told my mom one day, he's an excitable little fella. Uh, in fact, when I was in elementary school, I, and when I was early kindergarten or first grade, uh, my, my teacher had enough of me one day and taped my mouth shut. And then tied my hands together and tied my arms to the desk. They, they don't still do that? That's not normal? And no therapy. How about that? All right. I'm good. Here I am. Still making it, man. Hey, that's another level. You know what I'm saying? When I mean, They're tying you to the desk. I don't think they do that anymore. But uh, I kind of grew up that way. I've always been kind of, you know, excitable and wound up and stuff. And, and uh, it's just characterized my life. In fact, when I got out of the Army, I went to college and, um, and I was working a couple jobs, I was real busy, I was married. And so there's, you know, your life is different when you start as a freshman at 25 versus, you know, uh, in, not 18 right out of high school. But um, so I was real busy all the time. And, I, and my uh, Old Testament history professor was amazing. I mean, one of the best teachers I've ever been under. And I think part of the reason he was so effective in his communication of the Old Testament was I think he might have been there when they were writing it. This guy was so old. I mean, I think they, they kind of just him, wheeled him in on a cart in the morning and leaned him against his lectern. And he's dusty, you know I mean? The guy's just old, and, and, uh, he, but, he, but he was a great teacher. And he caught me one day coming out of class and he said, David, can I talk to you? I said, sure, stop. He said, listen, I can't help but notice you're always in a hurry. It's, you just rush in and rush out. What's going on, you know? And I said, and it, first thing that popped in my head, you know, just scary sometimes. He says, I said to him, I said, well, I'd rather make history than read about it. Rockstar, dude, wasn't that awesome, man, I was so cool, Woo. so cool, man, how about that, and then 30 years later, I'm like, what in the world does that even mean, I, 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 but I, I kind of live, life peace, peace just doesn't come natural to me, in fact, I, I think if I tried to do this 10 years ago, I'd have been struck by lightning, or smitten with some plague, or something, I don't know, but uh, it's been something that I've had to learn, uh, and, and I wanna share that with you today. I wanna talk to you today about how to live a peaceful life, the life that God's designed. And by the way, this is not a, a strategy to just get everybody to calm down. You're stressing me out. No, it's, it's, a, it's a life that's characterized by the, 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 the peace of God and instead of the frenetic, frenzied peace. And even if you're not like me, even if you're more of a laid-back person who just kinda takes life as it comes, and uh, it, there's so much going on in our world. I mean, it takes two minutes on the internet or watching television or whatever to get anxious and fearful and wound up and, and, and nervous about life and about culture and about the things that are going on? How many of you found out that, that life can steal your peace, that life can rob the peace and the joy that God's designed you to live in and designed us to walk in? In fact, you, you know, again, I, I think they should call all the networks CNN, Continuously Negative News. It's, it's, it's just it's terrible, the things that, that we, we bombard, we're bombarded with uh, on a daily basis and you know while i can't promise what tomorrow holds i don't know the future i can be confident i'm confident of this one thing and that is that that when jesus came and said i've come to give you life in an abundance he wasn't he was he meant that all that he had for us was to experience the life of the kingdom of god which is characterized by righteousness peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit, and not to be driven from one thing to the next. We can be led by the peace of God, or we can be driven by our anxiety, but the choice is ours. I just wanna talk, let me talk to you about what God says in his word about the peace that he promises uh, to us. And Isaiah, uh, the the writer of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah actually mentions this promise to us uh, in verse 26, he says this, the steadfast of mind you will keep, in other words, the mind who's focused on you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts you. Isaiah is saying, the steadfast of mind, that's the one who keeps his trust in you. I'm going to keep him in my perfect peace because his thoughts, his life, his mind, his heart is steadfastly fixed on me. And that is the life that God has for us. And in fact, the word that is translated peace in this, in this passage uh, from Scripture is the word shalom in the Hebrew. And, and it literally means that nothing is broken and nothing is missing. Everything's in order. It's where it's supposed to be. It's how it's supposed to be. It's all that it's supposed to be. There's always enough. There, we're never lacking. There's a fulfillment. There's a sense of being of the confidence of living in the idea that all your needs are already met. Every catastrophe that could ever, God's already made provision for Every, every want and desire God's already thought of and planned. That's what Psalm 30, 139 says when, all, when it says all of the days of my life are written in your book before one of them was. God calculated all the stuff that we'd ever experienced in our life into his plan and process. For us, somebody said recently to me, when God planned your life, he even calculated in your own stupidity. <laughs> How many of you are grateful for that, amen? And so that's the life that God's called us to. It's a life of shalom, it's the peace of God, the shalom of God, more than enough. There's no needs, and, and, and the point is is that when we live in that peace, in that shalom, there's not even an opportunity, unless we become distracted, to live with anxiety and fear because we automatically assume that all or everything's taken care of and thought of beforehand. Isn't that a great thought? Later on in Isaiah, he says this about the, about the permanent nature of God's covenant of peace with us. This is what he says, for the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake. In other words, the world can implode around you. He says, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. In other words, when all around you is failing and falling and, co- and it's c- catastrophic and and, and and imploding and falling in on you, that God's covenant of peace, his promise of permanent, lasting peace is yours for the taking. It's mine to have and to hold and to, and to guide us in every step, every thought, every decision uh, that we make in our lives. And... and the thing about the peace of God is it's that, as, especially because when we start thinking about peace, we, we often relate that in, contrary, uh, in, in contradiction to the fears that we live in, which involve often our finances, our relationships, the things that are going, the circumstances of our lives, the decisions that we have to make, that God's peace is not just a super relaxation technique. Are you with me? It is not something that we conjure up by deep breathing and counting to 10. And although those things are good, those are just coping mechanisms. They're not overcoming mechanisms. Are you with me? How many of you are tired of coping and ready to overcome? And so what we wanna talk about today is the supernatural peace of God that transcends our own thoughts and minds and even our circumstances. And this it's what Jesus was talking about in John 14 when he said this, peace, I leave you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Don't let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. I've got something for you. I've got a, a, a state of being, of living, that, that's transcendent, that overcomes circumstances, that's over and above your own thoughts. It's incomprehensible. We're going to find out about that in just a few minutes, that, the, that God's peace is incomprehensible, so why is it so important? Why is it so important? It, it's good. I mean, who wouldn't want to have peace in their lives? But but there's some of us that are that are kind of just wound up, and we like living on the edge, and we like kind of living right on the edge of out of control, and things to be kind of chaotic and woohoo! I mean, got be. I mean, I'm I'm somewhat of an adrenaline junkie. So why is it important for all of us, even if we're wired that way, to learn to live in the peace of God? Because for one thing, it is, it is the undergirding posture of the kingdom of God. Everything in God's kingdom is characterized by peace. But beyond that, even in the vocabulary of the way God speaks to us, the, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit himself is primarily characterized by peace. Did you know that God never speaks to you through fear and anxiety and frustration and chaos? Oftentimes people people come and say, Pastor, you know, things are falling apart. I'm trying to discern what God is saying. This, my, you know, my, this relationship or my job or whatever, and it's all, all. It seems like it's just falling in. And I say, well, that's not God speaking. God always speaks through peace, never through fear, never through frustration, never through 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 chaos and anxiety in our lives. It's always the voice of peace. Think about Elijah, the prophet of the Old Testament, when he, when he was on the run and God said, Elijah, I wanna speak to you. And he brought him inside, outside of this mountain and I stood at the side of this mountain and he said, and the Bible says that, that great wind, so great that it almost tore the mountain down, came by. And God's voice was not in it. And then an earthquake came and it shook the ground that he stood on. And God's voice was not in it. And then a great fire came and consumed everything around him. God's voice wasn't there. And it wasn't until a gentle and quiet and still breeze blew through that Elijah heard and discerned the voice of God. It's always gentle. It's always in a posture of peace. And so it's critical for us to discern the peace of God if we want to know the will of God, the mind of God, the voice of God, to fulfill his purposes and the call of God in our lives. We have to walk in peace. Think about Jesus when he was, uh, got on the boat with the disciples and they went to pass across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and all of a sudden the Bible says that a great storm arose and it began to beat the boat around with wind and the rain was driving against it and the disciples were fearful to the point of death. They feared for their lives and the Bible says that Jesus rose up and he stood in the bow of the boat and he pointed into the sky and he said this, rain, rain, go away and come again another day. No, he didn't say that. There was no wishful thinking. There was no, man, I hope the weather, I hope this blows over before our tea time. You with me? No, God, Jesus, the God in the flesh stood and he spoke to the wind and he spoke to the rain and he, this is what he said, peace, be still. It's the authority, it's the foundation of the authority of the kingdom of God. As he spoke peace into that circumstance, peace into that storm. And you and I, and the storms that we face in our lives, the circumstances that we face in our lives, the disappointments, the the doubts, the fears, the, the chaos that we experience in relationships and in our decisions and the path of our life, God can silence those storms with the voice of peace if we'll learn to discern it and walk in it and live in it. How many of you guys are interested in learning that? The thing about the peace of God is, again, you, you know, it's difficult to describe and get your arms around sometimes. In fact, the Bible says, and we're gonna see this in a minute, that it's beyond our comprehension. But well, let me give you this one thought and then I'm gonna give you some real practical ways to live in the peace of God. You always know when you don't have it. The thing about the peace of God that's, that you can take to the bank is that you always know when you don't have it. What does, what's so important about that statement? That implies that as a child of God, as a son or daughter of God, my life should be so characterized by the peace of God, the supernatural, transcendent peace of God, that I automatically recognize it when it disappears. And it's easy to backtrack and find out where did I step out? Where did I get distracted? Where did I take my eyes off the Lord and put it on circumstances and lose my peace? That's our goal, right? So let's talk about, I wanna give you three keys in our passage today from Philippians chapter four. So if you have your notes, pull those out. If you have a Bible with you or maybe a, a smartphone with a Bible on it, Philippians chapter four. And we're gonna read a few verses and take out three keys uh, to learning to live and walk in, in peace. And here's the first one. The first key is praise. Peace comes from a life of praise. And, and if you read in Philippians, in the, in the beginning in verse one of our passage today, Paul says, therefore, my brethren my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown. In this way, stand firm in the Lord. And I urge uh, Yodia and St. Tish to live in harmony in the Lord, indeed, true companion. I ask you also to help these women who've shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names, are, whose names are in the book of life. So before we read verse four, what he's, what's happening is Paul is writing to the Philippian church and he's asking them to come alongside and encourage and help out these women and also this fellow worker, Clement, who have been instrumental in the ministry of the gospel there in that church. And they, they're facing hardship. They're facing a difficult time and he's asking them to come alongside and encourage them. And he says... In the, in the middle of this difficult time that you're facing, verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. In other words, take your eyes off the difficulty. Instead, rejoice. Don't focus on the circumstances. Focus on me. See, that's what happens when we begin to rejoice. Re- rejoice is really just another word to praise, to express praise and gratitude to, to God, to, to exclaim, and to proclaim into the air, and to our circumstances, and to the world, and to the enemy, the greatness of God. And, and praise, by its very nature, has to be verbalized. It's not something internal, it's not, a, it's not an exercise that we just, mm, well we get ourselves into a posture of praise. No, you get yourself into a posture of gratitude. Gratitude and thankfulness, those are attitudes. Praise is an action that uses your vocal cords and your mouth to articulate the greatness of God. And when that happens, it's interesting that Paul knew, that's why I encouraged him, Paul knew that regardless of his circumstances, he could praise his way to peace. In fact, we see in Paul's life throughout the writing of the New Testament that he maintained his peace through praise, in Acts, in the book of Acts chapter 16, there's a story where Paul was in prison. Of course, Pastor Steve's talked a lot about Paul's tribulations in this series because the book of Philippians is really a, almost a, a, an account of how these different characteristics, Paul was able to maintain his posture of praise, in the uh, posture of peace in spite of his circumstances. And in chapter 16 of Acts, there's a story of he and Silas uh, having been arrested and going through some very difficult things where they could have lost their peace Uh, He maintains it through praise. Let's take a look at this passage uh, quick, and it says, when they'd struck them with many blows, Paul was always getting beat on. I mean, what is the deal? They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely, and having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, you can imagine why they were listening uh, to these guys singing Uh, in the middle of the night. But what happened was, and and I want you to just think about this for a second. Paul and Silas obviously got on somebody's bad side and they get publicly beaten and then arrested. And they were so concerned with these guys because they were obviously violent criminal outlaws that they put them in solitary confinement. The jailer moved them to the innermost part of the jail where he could personally keep an eye on them and chained them to the wall. I don't know about you, but if, if, if that was my circumstances, the last thing on the planet I would be thinking about was starting a worship service. Are you with me? But Paul knew that regardless of his circumstances, that his way to peace, the way to maintain peace in spite of his circumstances was through praise. And so he goes, hey Silas, let's sing. Let's man, let's have some worship. Let's have some worship, you know, and I don't know if Silas was maybe a worship leader or whatever or why that was the, you know, that, that was what, but I can imagine if I were Silas, I'd have been like, what are you talking about? Are you kidding me? Are we, we're, we're gonna start a work, right? We're chained to the wall. I mean, Paul's like, look, we can't do, it. There's, you know how hard it is to sleep when you're chained to a wall? I mean, I've never done it, but you can imagine it would be pretty uncomfortable. So Paul says, we might as well. What else are we gonna do, right? So they start singing, and, and the Bible says that as they did, there were some amazing, miraculous things that happened in that jail cell. But the point was that instead of being consumed by the negativity of his circumstances Paul chose instead to proclaim the greatness of his God which was greater than the circumstances he was currently facing. And praise has to be verbalized again. I want you to think about this. If you if you want to praise someone for something, you don't just think about how awesome they are. Think about it. Your kid, one of your children does something awesome. You don't just and you want to Praise them. You don't just think to yourself, they're really awesome, that was a good job, but never tell them. I mean, kinda loses the power, you know what I'm saying? You bring them and you look them in the eye and you say, I am so proud of you. You are excellent at whatever it was. You, I can't believe, this, this thing that you've done is so awesome and then if you'll tell everybody that will listen to you, put it on social media, you, you proclaim their awesomeness. And the same is true with God. That's how we praise God. I, I remember uh, when we were pastoring in New York City, uh, there, there was a man named Dr. Pastor Harold Bredesen, who, uh, he's passed away now, but he, we were able to spend some time, a couple of years with him in the last years of his life, and just an amazing, amazing pioneer and, and leader in the, in the church, spirit-filled man, just full of life. And really, at that point in his life, I think he was about 84 then, he was uh, living already with one foot in heaven. I mean, he had such a dynamic, close, intimate, personal fellowship with God. You could just sense the presence of God on him and in him, and when you were around him. So I loved having my kids around him as much as we could, and uh, we would walk down the. street, And he was older, you know, and so he's kind of hunched over and bent. He'd had a bad bicycle wreck a couple years ago and broken his before that and broken his back, and so he's kind of hunched over. And we would hold hands, all of us, in New York City. And we'd walk down the sidewalk with, with Pastor Harold, and, and, and he would just stop and go, Let's just praise the Lord together right now. And so we would, out loud, right then. We'd do right in, in front of God and everybody in New York, right, right down the sidewalk, and we'd say, Praise you, Lord. Father, we praise you. We pray." And he'd say, Praise him for his excellent greatness. And we'd say, We praise you for your eggs and the kids, and you know, we praise you for your and, it, and you know, it, it, people, but let me just tell you something the world around you disappears. When you begin to express praise to your God. Let me tell you, we, no matter where you are in, the, in your car, in your cubicle, at work, at home, wherever you are, when you, regardless of what hell is throwing at you, when you begin to declare and express and put forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, things happen. Your perspective changes. Things that are heavy and dark and oppressing and omniscient and, and, and ominous seem to just become irrelevant in the light of God. I love the old hymn that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. The stuff of our, the the temporary, temporal circumstances and situations of our lives that causes so much anxiety and fear and depression and doubt just fall apart. They They dissolve in God's presence as we praise him and lifted up, and Paul knew that, and he maintained his peace through praise. The second thing I wanna to mention to you, we're gonna, as we continue to reading, is this. We, we, we live a life of, of peace when we press into God in prayer. Paul says in verse six, he picks up in his thought and says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The key to this thought is that in prayer, we bring our anxious thoughts, our cares, the things that are concerning to us, the things that are weighing us down and mostly distracting us from God's presence. We bring them and we lay them at his feet because peace comes from proximity When we're we're close to God, when you live your life in God's presence, the things around you just fall away. Even the heaviest burden that you're carrying seems to become insignificant as you press into God in prayer. In fact, prayer is where you talk to him about those things. That's the conversation, it's the dialogue, the, the interchange, the exchange that we have with God where we're real with him. And we say, God, I'm frustrated about this. I don't understand this. I don't know how to handle this. I'm angry. I'm a little angry with you. I think sometimes we're, we're, we're afraid to get honest with God. But I got news for you. He's big. He can handle it. He's a big boy. Are you with me? He can handle your frustration. If you don't believe me, read the book of Psalms. It's almost all, David starts in frustration and ends in praise. That's a good way to be, by the way. Get honest with God and let it evolve into praise. You with me? And, 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 and David began to, to pray and pour his heart out God, I don't understand. The wicked seem like they're winning, smash their teeth in. God, I can't stand it. And God, you're so great. And I can't believe I even doubted you for a moment. And, and you hung the stars in the heaven. And you're so great. And I praise you and worthy to be praised. What a great way to live. How freeing is it that we can just be honest with God and say, hey, man, I got issues. I'm mad at you. Because here's the deal. This is what you need to understand, guys. He already knows you're only kidding yourself. The only one you're fooling is you. Because God's going, why are you acting so holy? I saw you. Peace comes from proximity, and proximity comes as we press into God through prayer. But pastor, you don't understand. My, my marriage is falling apart. What if I get a bad diagnosis from the doctor? What if it's terminal? What if I, one of my kids has lost their mind and gone crazy, and they think, I just can't even, I don't know what, what, what if I, What if this stuff, well, what if? God never is never caught off guard by your what ifs. I mean, God is big. And and before you were in a storm, he saw it coming and provided a way to get through it. He provided a, a, an escape and a made a provision for every need that and every circumstance that you will ever encounter before it ever occurred. You'll never hear God say, "Huh, I didn't see that coming." Think about that. How reassuring is it, and the closer we get to him, the more confident we are in who he is, in the greatness of His majesty and power and his omniscience and sovereignty in our lives, that even the difficult things that we face, if we trust him, if we press into him, if we allow his peace to guard our hearts and our minds, like this passage says, they literally means that when we give our doubts and fears to God and we bring our anxious thoughts to him, that God's peace creates a force field, a shield about our thought life and our hearts, our feelings, our soul. It protects us from the outcomes. It protects us from the, the temptation to follow into, fall into those things and be defined and allow our lives to be governed by those fears. When we walk in God's peace, when we walk in God's peace. We, we find him in praise and, and we find him in prayer and just as so many, there are so many different types of conversations in our natural lives, there's different types of prayer and I just wanna mention these to you Uh, quickly just as a practical means of how to approach God. Because again, ultimately the goal is is a dialogue. It's a two-way conversation with God. And the older I get and the more I pray, the more I realize that what's really important in prayer is what God says back. (laughs) I mean, there are things you should get off your chest, but what really matters in prayer is what God says back to us. And I, and I begin to, I, I, I hear the voice of God through his word and by his spirit and I take notes because I'm more concerned with what God has to say than I am with what I have to say. And, and, and so I, you gotta get past that idea that, that prayer time is just you rattling off a list of stuff to the God of the universe. How many of you think he might have something to say in return? That's where, we're, that's where we need to focus our energy, amen? And so we draw near to him He prays, and here's some different types of prayer. This will help you. The first one is devotional prayer. It really is just our communion with God. It's just our opportunity to tell God how much we love him. It's the the very introduction to him. God, I love you. I'm so grateful. When I wake up in the morning, literally, nearly 365 days a year, the, the, the first thoughts as I'm coming to consciousness are, thank you, Lord. So grateful for my life. Thank you for filling me with your spirit today. God, thank you for your purposes in my life today. God, I'm so grateful. And I express that in devotion, my gratitude and devotion to him as I start the day. That's how you should start your day, not with that list. Because let me tell you, I got a list too. I got a list of prayer requests and a little list of stuff to do. But I intentionally push those things aside until I've had time to just devote my heart to Christ. The second kind of prayer that we see in scripture pretty often is supplication and that's really where the time when we make our requests known to God. Through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we make our requests known to God. That's when peace comes. And, and let me tell you, the key to supplication, and the third one is intercession, and that, that's where we, make, we pray for other people's needs. But let me just mention this real quick. The, the key to supplication and intercession is this. It begins with the presupposition that God is good, that he loves you, and he wants be a part of the solution in your life he has the answers and he's willing to give them to you that God fundamentally is good he loves you and he always and only does what's right and best for you and when you have that confidence you can come to him with anything and and as the as the writer of first Peter says cast all our cares our anxieties on him because he cares for us do you really believe that God cares about you Do you really believe that fundamentally he loves you and cares about you and he's concerned about the anxiety in your life, the things that cause you stress and fear and doubt? He cares. He loves you. He wants to help you. He wants to bring solutions and life and hope and peace into your life. But do you believe that? We press into him through prayer. We press into his peace through prayer. Praise, and third um, that is positive thinking. The third thing that happens uh, in our pursuit of peace is we have to deal with our thought lies. And again, this is not positive thinking like some kind of new age weird you know, Jedi mind trick thing. This is Paul specifically instructing us on what we need to be focused on in our thoughts. Let's read this passage. It's the like final passage uh, from Philippians today. It says, finally, brethren, whatever's true Whatever is honorable and whatever is right, pure, lovely, and of good report, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And again, when it comes to peace, when it comes to pursuing a life of peace and living in the peace of God, the main question that most of us need to answer for ourselves is what seeds have we sown into our thought life? Is, could it be that it's difficult for us to focus on the things that are good because we have such a heavy diet of things that are not good? You need to think about the t- amount of time that you're spending in front of the television, on social media, on the internet, watching the news, reading the news. What information are you, are you sowing into your thought life what, what, are the, what are the, what's good about these things? And listen, I'm not saying stick your head in the hole, lock the doors, board the windows, and just hope, you know, for the best. Well, I'm saying be aware and be alert and be informed, but don't be driven by the anxiety and the stress and the chaos of our culture. Be led by the Spirit of God and make sure that your diet contains mostly the things that are pure and holy and of good report and things that are trustworthy and excellent. You gotta cut it off. Listen, if you just eat pizza and ice cream all the time, you're not going to be fit. And I love pizza and ice cream as much as anybody I've ever met. But I can't be healthy like that. You cannot have a healthy thought life on a diet of negativity. You cannot. And and you may say, well, it's just how I relax and it's just how I unwind. It's just how I will unwind with Jesus. Trust me, you'll sleep better. Sorry, I'm, I love you. I'm your friend. My name's David. I'm your friend, okay? I'm trying to help. Believe me, these are all things that I have to deal with. I'm not on an island issuing these thoughts and not having lived in. I, these are choices that we make every single day about whether or not we're going to be driven by our anxiety or led by the Spirit, led by his peace. Remember, most of the anxiety that we experience in our lives is perceived it's, 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 it's what we think is real, but it's really not when we press in to the presence of God and we focus on the things that are true and trustworthy. Uh, remember the, the passage that we started with was Isaiah 26, where, where Isaiah says, the steadfast of mind you keep in perfect peace because he trusts you. And if, we're li- if our lives are characterized by trust, fundamentally we trust God with our lives. We don't have all this stuff to worry about. I read this, these statistics recently. This is gonna shock you, and, and, and we're closing. I'm just about done. For, in, a, in, a re, in some research about people who deal with anxiety, 40% of the things that are anxious are focused on things that will never happen, 40%. 30% of our focus that produces anxiety are on things about our past that we can't change anyway. 12% is focused on criticism, by others, that's mostly untrue or unfounded. 10% of our anxiety is focused on health issues, which makes our health worse. Stress makes your health worse. And 8%, 8% on real stuff that we may actually need to address. In other words, 92% of our emotional energy as it relates to worry and anxiety and fear, is focused on things that will never happen or you can't do anything about. How about putting some of that energy? Now, that's a good ratio. 8% of your life on stuff that really needs some addressing. The other 92% on Jesus. You see, because the, the, the strategy of the enemy for most of us, I believe, is not some big catastrophic nightmare necessarily, and of course, those things do happen, but it's just a little something over here that goes pop. And gets your attention enough to make you take your eyes off Jesus and focus on this other thing for a minute, just enough to distract you. In fact, the word anxiety in, in this passage that we read a minute ago actually means to divide the mind, to distract. And it includes anything as subtle or as, as innocent may, may, as it may be that can distract us from, from being living in God's shalom, the fulfilled purposes fullness, richness of all God has for you as he leads us in our lives. Everything that God has for us is about peace. That's why it's so critical for us to trust him. So practically, I'm gonna ask you to stand. I'm gonna give you two quick thoughts and we're gonna close. At all of our campuses, just hang with me for a second. I wanna make sure that you get these last two things. The first one is this. The first step towards recognizing these thoughts and, and, and identifying them and dealing with them is ask God to reveal them to you. Because here's the reality, and this is difficult sometimes to, re- come to, com- to come to grips with, but some of us have for so long dealt with things, fear and doubt and stuff, that we've just learned to live with it. We've developed all these coping mechanisms and it becomes this underlying tension that we're so familiar with, we don't even recognize it's there anymore. So ask God, Psalm 139 says, Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my anxious thoughts. Ask the Holy Spirit, where is it that I, I'm not trusting you, that I'm distracted by this thing, and I'm not put, keeping my focus on you. Show me where it is. And believe me, the Holy Spirit will show you immediately. You'll begin to un- unveil things, areas of your life that are, that are characterized by worry and anxiety instead of his peace. And then once you find out what they are, fill your mind with the truth of God's word. Fill your mind with peace and hope and joy and tr- things that are trustworthy and true. Find out what does God's word say about these circumstances? What does God's word say about this relationship? What does God's word say about my children? What does God's word say? And start writing it down, putting three by five cards everywhere. We still do this. My wife and I have been married almost 30 years. You come in our house today, you'll see three by five cards on the fridge, on the mirror, on the coffee tables, in our cars that say, hey, my children will be great and taught of the Lord. Amen that great is the inheritance of, of them, that I'm more than a conqueror, that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, that God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. And, and we make declaration of those things, and we fill our minds with those things, with God's word. And when I, listen, I, if this is new to you, it was new to me at one time too, and what I did was I had to actually put a reminder on my phone every day at two o'clock, And it would pop up and say, what are you thinking about? And I had to take control of my thought life because I promise you, if you will really apply yourself to getting this point today, you're gonna be shocked at how much your thought life is out of control. And, And what happened is as I began to build a habit of thinking about what I was thinking about and replacing those random, errant, crazy thoughts with the truth of God's word, God's peace began to govern my life and heart and thoughts. And it's a game changer, I promise you. Campus pastors, I wanna ask you to join me on the stage and go ahead and close your services. Here at the Little Creek Campus, I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come. I'm gonna pray for you as we go today. I just wanna pray a blessing over you. But if you need prayer, our team is here for you. If you're not sure about your relationship with Christ, it has to start there. This is not the the power of positive thinking. You have to start by being born again, by securing your relationship with God before his peace can come. That's step one. And then if you need encouragement over anything that's going on in your life, come, let us pray for you and encourage you before you go today. Father, we thank you. We love you, God, today. And we just, we thank you for the clarity of your word that brings life and truth and peace, most of all. Holy Spirit, we we just want to repent right now. Just turn away from all the the things in our lives that we've, we've developed coping mechanisms instead of learning to overcome. And God, I pray that uh, as you speak to our hearts today, that you'd give us the courage and the grace to follow through, to be obedient to your word, to respond to your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you're filled with grace and truth and that you're, not, you're providing us the solution and the power to do it. We're so grateful for that. Have your way in our lives, Lord. Bless your people today as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you guys.